turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be there tonight. We've been in this series from a curriculum by uh, James McDonald entitled Downpour. If you have missed a couple weeks or you have kind of forgotten where we're at, remember this is this call to, to revival. It's renewal. It's the passage of the scripture that say that he will come to us like the rain. He will drench us with his spirit. And we've looked over the last couple of weeks at these pictures. First was a picture of God on the throne, a picture of holiness. And then we began to move from a picture of God on the throne and looking at his holiness to sin in the mirror, a picture of brokenness. And tonight we move to a third picture of self in the dirt, a picture of repentance. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 11 with me as I read aloud. You read silently in your Bibles there. Paul is speaking. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, Paul says, I do not regret it. Though I, I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Verse 9. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by not harmed in any way by us. Verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. Now Paul has wrapped up a great wealth of information for us tonight on the the subject of repentance. But before we get to repentance, I, I think we need to Remind ourselves and see what, what God is doing here that repentance is a good thing. I think sometimes we, we pick up this idea that, well, when, when I've done something horrible, I repent. And so because of the bad thing, repentance is bad. I never want to be in a place of repentance because I never want to be in a place where I have something to repent of. And I think I understand that to a point. But if we begin to think of this idea of repentance as being bad, we never get to the renewal. We never get to the downpour. We never get to the, he comes to us like the rain, driving, gushing, outpouring of his spirit. Revival never happens without this downpour. And downpour will never happen without repentance. Repentance, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. To be grieved about sin. I'm not suggesting that it's fun. I'm not suggesting that it's great entertainment. But it's not a bad thing. Ultimately, it's a good thing. It's a gift from God when we, when we grieve the sin that we see in our life. The Bible gives us lots of pictures, and we won't have time tonight to go through all of these passages, but this would be a great study sometime throughout the week to look at these passages in Scripture and, and look at what they have to say about Repentance, what they have to say about grieving sin. We find this idea of, of repentance being a good thing and grieving sin being a good thing from John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 2. 
We find this with the disciples in Mark 6, 12, and, and the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We, we see this idea of repentance being a good thing in Luke 15, verse 7. We see it in Peter's life in Acts 2.38 and 3.19. And, and we see that God grants repentance in 2 Timothy 2.25. And, and Jesus speaks of this in Revelation 2.5 and 16 and 3.19. And, and we see examples of this in the, the prodigal son in Luke 15.11 through 32. And this is just to name a few. This is not an exhaustive list. But all throughout Scripture we find pictures of where repentance is a good thing. And as we look at this scripture focus tonight, I think maybe a question to help us dive into this is, is how do I know when I've truly repented? I mean, if repentance is a good thing, if repentance is necessary to experience revival and to have renewal, if I'm going to see God on the throne, see God for how holy and pure he is, if I'm going to see sin in the mirror, and I begin to see what I need to do in, in confessing my sin and being broken before God, the next step has to be repentance. And if that's a good thing, how do I know if I've experienced it? How do you know if you've really repented? I'll know I've repented when there are deeds appropriate to repentance. Acts 26 verse 20 says, repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. People who have repented, they live in a particular way that they act appropriate for repentance in other words that when you repent it gets out in your actions you begin to to live differently you begin to do some things differently you know you've repented when people around you can see that you are you're acting differently something is changing inside of you you can see it in your brother and sister the deeds of repentance is coming there and it's not just deeds also luke 3 8 says, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, you and I will bear fruits of repentance. When we really repent, there will be a change in actions. We will do things different. And there will also be a fruit. So if your heart is the root system of your spiritual being, it's the stuff that's underground, it's the things that people can't see, if you have true repentance in your heart and the secret places of your life, in the, the branches, the outer things of your life, there will be visible fruit, a product of what's going on inside. There should be an action, there should be a fruit that is appropriate, that corresponds, that, that smells like repentance. Well, what are the fruits or the deeds of repentance? Paul's going to talk about this in 2 Corinthians 7, and I need to share that what, what Paul is doing here, it's not in sequential order. And in my mind, I'm going to put some of these in sequential order for us. But, but Paul does not put them in sequential order. It's more like a picture of if you go to the grocery store and you buy a bunch of groceries. Now, in my house, I'm not allowed to go buy a bunch of groceries at the grocery store. Because when I go, I buy things that we already have. I buy things that we don't need. And, and it's a bad thing. So this is Carrie's job. I'm not allowed to do this. But if Carrie goes to the grocery store and she buys all the groceries we need, she fills up the cart and, and she comes home and I say, hey, Carrie, what did you buy at the grocery today? What, what did you get? She may say, I, I got some ham. I got some rice. I got some milk. I got some raisins. I got some grapes. She just begins to list some of the things that she brought home. She doesn't put them in categories and say, well, well let me think. What are the dairy items that I got? 
What, what are the grain items that I got? What are the meat items? I guess you could do that, but, but that's not how we operate when we talk in a conversational tone. She just would, would list what it is that she purchased. Paul, in other words, is, is doing that. He's so tickled, he's so excited that he sees them repenting. He sees the godly sorrow. He says, ha, ha, this is happening. You know what I see? I see this, and I see this, and I see this. He's not orchestrated it in a particular order, but he's listing these 10, 11, 12 things that are taking place in these verses for us. To help us get the full meaning of what God has for us tonight out of this, there's Five categories I want to look at that, that, that I'm kind of imposing here that we're, we're looking at together of what we see Paul doing. And I'm going to kind of organize them in the way that is commonly seen in how they take place in our life. So we'll bounce back and forth through this passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. I want us to look at these five categories or five markers of genuine repentance. The first is grief over sin. A marker, a litmus test, how will I know if I have the the actions and if I have the fruit of repentance? There will be grief over sin. Look at verse 9 and 10. Your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. See, this is one of the clearest statements that I can find in all of Scripture that talks about the feelings that accompany repentance. The way that we should feel when we are having a repentant heart or as we repent. There there are some feelings that go along with this. If, If you feel these things, there's a chance that you're on the path to repentance. If you don't feel these things, there's a strong chance that you are not repenting. Sometimes we, we need to have these bad feelings that we label bad in order to see change in our life. Now there's a huge difference between godly sorrow and earthly or man or fleshly sorrow. See, God's sorrow, Paul's going to unpack for us here, it's focused on God. There's a brokenness, it's focused on God. But you can have sorrow, you can find yourself in trouble, you can find yourself in the the fruits or the results of sin, and you can be broken. You can be weeping. You can be at the end of your rope and not have godly sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that is so sorry that you got caught. It's the kind of sorrow that you're so sorry how embarrassing this is. You cannot believe it happened. Why do you find somebody who is is broken and and there are tears and and they're at the end of themselves and then five, six months later they're back at the very same place? They may have had sorrow, but it's not godly sorrow. There needs to be grief over sin, godly grief, godly sorrow. You see, and when we have that, When we have true contact with God, it produces in us feelings of unworthiness. Now, I don't mean feelings of being worthless. It doesn't mean to be spiritual that you have no self-esteem. But friends, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see of Him, the more you know He sees of you, the more you see how unworthy you are. I've told you the story a half a dozen times, I'm sure, already. Mrs. Taylor was one of the most spiritually in-depth people I've known in my life. And in her 90s, she'd lived for Jesus almost her entire life. She was so wise. At the end of her age, she, she was reading a book 
a, a, a week and then in her last few months she was reading a book every three days and i remember meeting with her and, and asking her questions and and she told me one day she said brady the the more i learn about jesus the more i see how far i have to go and when i heard that i was thoroughly depressed i thought Mrs. Taylor, if you're like so far from God, then I have no chance. I mean, you know, some people look to Billy Graham that way. I'm thinking, hey, I've seen Mrs. Taylor. I know where she's at. I mean, there there is a depth in her walk with God. And if she's so far from God, what hope is there for me? But what she was experiencing, what she was seeing is the closer you get to Jesus, the more unworthy you know that you are. This is all over Scripture. Abraham expresses this in Genesis 18, 27 when he says, I am but dust and ashes. Job shares in chapter 42, verse 6, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 5 says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. You see this pattern? It's not just about one man. It's not just about one particular situation. The closer they get to God, the more unworthy they recognize that they are. Peter says in, in, in Luke Chapter 5, verse 8, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. John, in Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I saw the Lord, and I fell at his feet as though I was dead. I, I just, I couldn't even stand in his presence. See, true contact with God produces feelings of unworthiness. So it brings us to this grief over sin. The second marker of repentance, the second litmus test that takes place is repulsion towards sin. It should be repulsive to us, the very thought of sin. Not just grief over sin, it should be nauseating to us. Look at verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. It was repulsive to them. I don't know if you remember, it's been a a long while back, a, a show that was popular on TV called Fear Factor. It's not one that I'd give like high marks to for a lot of reasons. I kind of thought it was dumb, but... But beyond that, there was some things I don't know that I just want to be thinking about. As you remember in that television show, if you saw it, it was kind of a, I don't know, a game show slash reality TV thing. At the beginning half, they would do some extreme stunts, you know, jump from this platform to that platform. And they were conquering people's fears, the fear of height or the fear of water or these kind of things. And, and then the second half of the show got progressively gross. And it was repulsive. They would eat disgusting things. They would put things in your mouth that you should never have in your mouth. Roaches and parts of animals that are just gross and you shouldn't eat. And it was just disgusting. And they would put themselves and allow themselves to be in confined spaces with repulsive insects or animals that would be put all over them. And it was just disgusting. It's this idea, it's a word picture that Paul is trying to say here that in true repentance, sin should be repulsive to you disgusting or when god not because you're so perfect but when god is doing a work in your heart and you're beginning to allow him to to cause you to have grief over sin and you see how unworthy you are he begins to show you the light and sin becomes even more repulsive sick to your stomach you don't want to return to it 
a third marker is restitution towards others. Once I see grief in my life over sin, true godly sorrow, as I begin to be repulsed by sin, the things that would entice me now, though there may be a pull, may there still be some temptation. It is not the way it used to be. It is disgusting. You may find yourself in temptation where, like Paul would say, I I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I don't do, but but there's no more this rose-colored glasses that this sin is, is a good thing. But third, there's this restitution. Verse 11, what readiness to see justice done, the text says in the NIV. What readiness. You are so eager to see the right thing done when i am really repentant i want to fix the fallout of sin zacchaeus and his story in luke 19 verse 1 through 10 is a perfect example of this you remember zacchaeus story tax collector he was cheating people he would steal from people he has this encounter with jesus jesus is there he repents of his sin and what's the very next thing that he does He wants to give the money back. He wants to make it right over and above what he stole. He wants to have restitution. He wants to make it right with the people with whom his sin injured. See, we can't be right with God if we don't want to be right with the people whom our sin has injured. The scripture says here at the end of verse 11, at every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. What Paul is saying is you have done everything in your power to try to make it right. You have seen restitution. You want what is right. You want to make it right. Now, when we ask for forgiveness for people, we don't go and ask for forgiveness of someone who has sinned against us. We let God deal with them and pray for that. But we need to remind ourselves there's a very, very clear call for us to ask others for forgiveness, to make restitution. How do we do this? If, if, I, if I recognize and God has convicted me of sin in my life and, and some words that I have shared have not been pleasing to God and, and I have said cross things to you or I've said things that have been hurtful to you, Brent, I need to confess before God. I need to repent and be willing to make it right with the one whom my sin has injured. And so the right way is to say, Brent, you know what I said the other day? It wasn't right. It was wrong. It was sinful. I've asked God to forgive me. And my heart is broken for the pain that I've caused you, and I want to ask you to forgive me. But sometimes I think we get some things confused, and we go into this asking for forgiveness, and we do it like this. I don't know if this ever happened to you. It's happened to me before, where people have come to me and they say something like this Brent, you know, I need to ask you for forgiveness. Because, you know, um, I've had a lot of bitterness towards you because you, you, you're kind of a jerk. And, um, you know, you, you said this jerky thing and, you know, it really hurt me. Or you blew me off and you really didn't meet my expectations and I, I, I couldn't stand you for years. And so I just want you to forgive me for not being able to stand you because you're a jerk. And we think that this is asking forgiveness, and whether it's intentional or unintentional, we're throwing daggers all around, and this is not at all what repentance is about. Repentance is saying, I want to make restitution. I want to make right what I wronged from my sin. Now, if any of that was true, 
It's not my place in asking for forgiveness to address that. I let God work on him. But, but the bigger thing, the healing thing, the God thing that he does in us with repentance that leads to revival. Well, why should we talk about this, Brady? I don't repent. Hey, repentance is a good thing. Remember where we started? This is a gift from God. When we repent, this isn't like this horrific thing. It's the path to healing and wholeness. I repent. It's about God. It's not about me. It's not even about Brent. But I'm doing what I need to do to make restitution to make it right. Now, there's many sins that we commit that there is no earthly way that we can undo what it is we have done. And when we make restitution, we're not trying to say that we have the power to undo all that. But we are trying to say, I want to do what is within my power to acknowledge my sin and to ask for forgiveness. Not many people want to do that. Watch out for the person. Watch out for the attitude that can creep into our own heart that says, I want to be right with God. Not that concerned about being right with those who I've offended, who my sin has injured. I can't be right with God unless I'm willing to make restitution where possible with those whom my sin has hurt. Some of us, we need to go to a spouse or an ex-spouse and ask forgiveness and make restitution. Others of us need to go to a parent. We need to go to a child We need to go to a boss. We need to go to an employee and ask forgiveness. What would it look like to go into your employer this week and to say, you know what? I was wrong. What what my attitude was was not right. I not only want to ask you to forgive me, but I'm going to be on board with what you say. You're the leader here. I'm going to tow the cart long and hard and follow where you're going. I want to be a blessing to you, not a curse to you. What would happen if repentance would lead to restitution? Friends, revival begins to break loose. We talked a couple of weeks ago, a month or so ago, about the Asbury revival and many other revivals. The key thing that's taking place is confession of sin and it's repentance and it's restitution in that repentance. It doesn't stop here at restitution. The fourth marker that we see is revival toward God. Taking what has been dry and crusty and dead and and letting life be breathed into that aspect of our life. And it brings life in our relationship towards God. A tenderness towards God will come back to your heart. Verse 11. What alarm, the NIV says. Some of your translations say, what fear. Why did we sin to begin with? Because we didn't have alarm or we didn't have fear for God. But this revival towards God, it's not just this grief over sin or this repulsion of sin or restitution. It it happens when real repentance takes place. You will begin to have life breathed into your bones spiritually and, and there will be things that take place. There will be a longing. What longing, verse 11 says. Church and worship is no longer a chore. There's a a longing what zeal comes into your life you get joy back where we've had our mind fixed on our bills or on what's going on at work or problems that we are going through we now in repentance we have a revival 
with God and he gives us a new perspective. He brings back the joy in our life. We begin to come into worship gatherings like this and it it doesn't matter what song is selected. It doesn't matter what text is preached. It doesn't matter who says hi to us. It doesn't matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter who you're sitting next to. Your heart is blessed. Have you been around someone like that? If, if If you're not spiritually in tune, that can be annoying. Because it doesn't matter what happens, they're just, oh, praise God, bless God. Now, I'm not talking about the fake people. You know who they are. They're plastic. They're weird. They're, that's fake. But the authentic people, it, it's just like, all you got to barely do is like bump into them and they're just oozing joy. Why? There's revival in their heart. Why? Because they've got this thing of repentance right. They have a, a grief over sin. It repulses them. They want to make restitution as soon as possible. One of the things that blesses my heart is a saint who's loved God for their whole life. And as they get to the end of their years, I watch, I've seen it over and over again, not just in Grace Point, but, but all over the place. They get so sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. They start confessing things to their pastor. And, and I'm going, I know the right thing is for me to listen and, and to I'm like, this is no big deal. I had, I had a, a lady in another church say, Pastor, I, I just need to confess to you that in church there was the pen there in, in the pocket in front, and, and I took that pen home, and I've had it with me, and I didn't mean to steal that pen. And I want to say, Mary, Mary, really? This is no big deal. It's a pen. But I was in danger of missing what was happening. Her heart was so in tune. She didn't want anything between her and God. Because she was this hellion? No. Because the closer you get to God, the more unworthy you are. And you begin to see any little thing that is not like God. And you want to make it right. Heaven was so clear in her sight. Because she was a lot closer to heaven than what, what I thought I was at that time just because of her age. But, but she wasn't going to allow a pen to block what was going on in her, her walk with the Lord. It's this, this idea of revival that brings joy back. And, and there should be this, this fragrant offering of an aroma around us. And it leads us to a final mark of repentance. A category that I'm kind of orchestrating here. And our curriculum writer helps orchestrate. But it's from Paul's words. It's from the grocery list of what Paul is saying. It's moving forward. It's not looking back, it's moving forward. Now, all of us have something in common here tonight. If you had your life to do over again, there'd be something, I'm confident, that you would want to do different. Is that true for you? Can you think of something that you wish you could do different? Is that, is that true for you? That's true for me. There's, there's a lot of things. If I, if I could do it over, I would do it different. But, but repentance and revival leads us to move forward. And it's not about focusing on what has happened in the past. God leads us to focus on Him, and He takes us what's going to happen in the future. You see, the thing about repentance is it, it breaks the chains of the failures of our past. Look at verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret. There's no regret. That doesn't mean that you've never done anything wrong. It's saying, hey, when I have experienced repentance, when, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes on my life, oh, I would do things different. But there's no regret because my godly sorrow has got me fixated on what God is doing and where he's taking me in the future. 
Repentance is not focused on me. It's not focused on my past. It's focused on God. As we close tonight, remember where we started. Repentance is good. One of the reasons it's good is because it helps us leave the past behind. And I believe for a lot of us, there is a grace gift from God. He wants us to embrace. But for whatever reason, we have culturally in the church begin to think that repentance is for someone else. It's not for us. Not for me. For that person over there. Even beyond that, for some of us, we've stopped talking about the very clear biblical pattern of what confession looks like. What sin looks like. What true repentance and godly sorrow look like contrasted with a fleshly or a earthly sorrow. All of this to say that God on the throne, a picture of holiness, leads us to see sin in the mirror, a picture of brokenness, and we see ourself made low in the dirt in a picture of repentance. You can have the freedom that comes through repentance. You can have the revival that comes through repentance. God is waiting for us. Let's pray together. Father, my my brain is tired tonight. No real reason it should be. It's tired. and I just ask and trust that you've taken your words and you've, you've orchestrated them in a way tonight that can bring help, that can bring encouragement to my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you that you have a a downpour, a gushing rain of your presence, stored up and waiting for all who will acknowledge you in this way. God, we sang tonight about a thirst deep in our soul. How we often wonder and long and crave for a revival experience, a zinger of a moment in studying of your word, but we skip over the very clear steps you give us in Scripture. God, would you, would you cause us to grieve sin of all kind? Would you cause us to be repulsed by Disobedience of all kind. Would you cause us, God, to seek restitution, not just with you, but with those who our sin has injured each and every time? And would you bring to us the revival, the joy, the sweetness of your spirit again? And Lord, would you set free those who have been so enchained by the failure of the past, would you allow victory to come forth tonight? Now God, before I see evidence of it in my life and in my friends' lives, I thank you, not because it's a fun way to sign off talking to you, but because I'm confident that when I praise you, for who you are, and I thank you for what I know your word confirms that you want to do. You release something in my heart. So Lord, we pray back that scripture to you. 
thanking you that you make good on your promises every single time. In the powerful and precious name of your son, Jesus, I ask these things. Amen and amen. Church, as you take off tonight, I challenge you to not only spend some time praying and thinking, maybe journaling about what God is saying to you about repentance, but I challenge you to join me and begin to make this a part of your vocabulary again. Many of you have not lost it in your vocabulary, but if we do not talk to those around us about what God can do in our life through repentance, this kind of biblical repentance, where will the next generation hear of it? I challenge you, as God leads you to be transparent, share from what God is and has done in your heart in the area of repentance. God bless you. You're dismissed.